everyone, and thank you so much, and welcome to the Patient Convert podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, and that is Dr. Brent Lacey. Dr. Lacey, introduce yourself. Hi, Kelly. Thanks. So, uh, well, I'm the solo gastroenterologist right now, uh, currently practicing at uh, Naval Medical Center Camp Lejeune in uh, eastern North Carolina. So um, I've been uh, practicing as a gastroenterologist for about five years. Uh, I've been in the Navy for about 10 years since I graduated from uh, from medical school, and um, it's uh, it's it's a pleasure to be on. I'm really excited to get to talk to you, uh, you know the, the the docs and the physician liaisons that are going to be working with you because I think it'll be fun to kind of branch out and talk about some uh, some military and uh, and VA to- related topics because that's kind of a unique world. And so I've I've been on both sides of that with uh, medical school and um, and and then since being in uh, practice on active duty. And then oh, yeah. earlier this year, I started a uh, I started a new website to try to help uh, physicians and and other healthcare professionals try to navigate the the challenging waters of managing a clinical practice because I've observed that so many people come out of medical school and and uh, dental school with a huge amount of personal debt and just no idea how to run a practice. Oh yeah, definitely. And so, and so you, your mission and my mission are very very closely aligned. Uh, just trying to get um, trying to get help with physicians managing the practice, mastering the personal finances, and just getting back to the business of doing what they love most, which is helping their patients. Oh, absolutely. And you bring in such a good point. This is such a common challenge. I know even with my physician clients that I face, but this is so unique because you're coming from the view of the actual physician, as well as someone who has personally experienced this. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your experience and, and how this idea came came to you and how you decided to start helping physicians through your experience? Sure. So, so I was uh, pretty fortunate to grow up uh, in a, in a house where I had parents that were very, uh, very savvy about finances, just real smart about um, teaching us, you know, how to budget. I mean, I opened my first checking account when I was 16. And so, you know, the idea of living on a budget was pretty natural to me, even when I was in, you know, high school and college. And so it's, it just, kind of blew my mind when I you know, got into medical school and beyond and saw just how many people were struggling living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and that, that kind of got me on a track where I was, I started doing um, a lot of one-on-one financial coaching and uh, started a, a, a financial discipleship ministry at my church, which nice. um, blossomed into a, a pretty big, a pretty big program. We ended up with about 300 families that went through our one-on-one coaching program oh, over wow. the course of several years, and they paid off uh, 1.2 million dollars in Oof, consumer debt. It was that awesome. is worth celebrating for sure. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty big. Well. So and, and and I've seen I've seen it from you know from the from the hospital side and from the you know from the the, the non-hospital side, and so I mean physicians aren't immune to that kind of thing, and um, you know we see that contributing a lot to the the epidemic of physician burnout. So my, my hope is to offer people some, some, some encouragement and some equipment and, uh, and some education to try to get them uh, on the right track for those kinds of things. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned another hot topic, just the actual financial burden, but how physician burnout is really becoming more known now. And I know that's something, did you experiencing, did you experience that when you were in medical school or was it more kind of when you went into the actual practice? Well, it's it's a great question. You know, I, I don't think I have struggled with 
burnout quite so much. Although it's funny, I have uh, I have a lot of people that have worked with me over the years that keep worrying about me probably more than I worry about myself, which is probably good because I need people to look after me. But um, <laughs> definitely need but, those people. But you know, I, I I find for me the the thing is it's the challenge that keeps me going. I I love working hard. I you know I love I love just seeing so many patients and. You know, I I find that as long as I'm active and and doing stuff every day, you know, I, I tend to do pretty well. But I definitely see a lot of folks struggling, uh, both you know, in the area of you know, uh, just being overwhelmed with debt, but also just feeling like they're just drowning in yeah. the administrative hassles yeah. of of everyday clinic life. Oh yeah, what do you think are some of the biggest pain points for physicians, kind of drowning in those hassles of of owning a practice or, or managing a practice? Yeah, I th- I think there's two. I think one of the biggest ones is definitely finances. I mean, uh-huh. uh, you know, I talk to folks all the time that have you know two hundred, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. Oh I yeah. Mean, you know, it's it's amazing. I mean, when you talk to folks that their their student loan payments are more than their mortgage payments. It's I mean, that's crazy. Just so overwhelming. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, we don't struggle with that quite as much in the military. Most of the folks that um, that are you know, military physicians either went through the military medical school or went through medical school right. in a civilian facility on scholarship. But even so, most of those folks that I've talked to have, you know, spouses that have student loan debt or they have mm-hmm. car loans and credit cards and all kinds of things. So, so that continues to be a huge pain point for folks, certainly, and especially I tell you what is when when people get out of the military or um, or just get out of just get out of fellowship, uh, out of residency, and they go join a practice and they want right. to buy in, you know, taking on in some cases I've seen dental practices where they, they the new partners take on like a million and a half dollars worth of debt. Wow, that's incredible! Can, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I know the, it it staggers the imagination. Yeah. Um, and I think the other, I think the other big pain point that I hear from folks all the time is feeling like they have a lack of sufficient support. Right. Um, and and in particular, in terms of uh, having adequate time, uh, reduction of administrative hassles, um, just spending time on non-clinical, clerical type work. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, in a given fifteen-minute patient interview, you know, you may have five minutes to talk with the patient, which is the part that we all signed up for in the first place because we like to help people. <laughs> right. And then you spend 10 or your 15 minutes doing paperwork and doing, you know, other administrative things. And it's, it's exhausting. Well, that's definitely a real problem out there or something that physicians have to start thinking more about because they want to focus on number one priority, like you said, patient care, but we have all these other responsibilities as physicians to kind of manage this program. So what are some of your biggest tips for helping them during that really complicated process? Plus kind of that overall stress, like you said, even going into it with the possibility of large student loan debt or even just debt and buying into a practice. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great question. So the thing, the thing I always tell folks that are getting out of residency and getting out of fellowship is to not expand their lifestyle. What, what I mean by that is it's very common to, you know, for folks to come out of, out of training and suddenly they have a giant leap forward in their income. And so they decide, oh, now it's time. It's, right. It is it is my time. I've been, I've been in school. I've been in residency. I've been in fellowship. I've been living in these little dinky apartments for 10 years. I've, I have, I've been driving beater cars. 
now I've got money. And then they go out and they buy two new luxury cars. You know, yeah. And it's, and then all of a sudden they're looking down the barrel of, you know, $10,000 worth of monthly payments on a variety of things. And oh, they yeah. go, wow, how did that happen? So, so true. So what I, what I always strongly encourage folks to do, uh, as a first, as a first step is really focus on, on getting out of consumer debt. Uh, you know, and the key to that is just living like a student or living like a resident a little while longer. I mean, when my wife and I, so my wife is a physician also, uh, she's a pediatrician. When we got out of um, medical school, we lived in a little apartment in San Diego while we were both in, in residency and both in fellowship. Mm-hmm. I mean, we lived in little apartments for the first 10 years, essentially, right. that we were married. And that was huge for us because we got we got all of our all of her student loans paid off before we got out of uh, fellowship. We had our retirement mm-hmm. savings well on the way, and we had started already saving up for a down payment on a house eventually, which enabled us to actually go buy a house when we got stationed at one of our uh, first uh, first duty stations outside of uh, training. And, and that's a huge that, difference. <laughs> that's a huge oh difference, kind of going into it with. Um, you know, trying to it's manage a lot your of, life. It's simple. a lot of delayed gratification. You got to spend right. a lot of time, you know, not doing stuff. And you keep asking yourself, when's it going to be my time? When's it going to be my time? <laughs> I've worked so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I call it Doc-itis. Where, Doc-itis. You, know, you, <laughs> you just get the, you're like, oh, I think I need a Tesla. Oh, I think I need a BMW. <laughs> I think, no, no, uh, you don't. The, the combined age of my cars is 20 years and they are all paid for. So. Yeah. And you don't have that payment coming in every month. That's really big. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm not a physician, but I am a business owner. And that's something that I think is really important for anyone is kind of living in your means for a little bit longer so you can live in that grander lifestyle a little later on. So I think that's yeah. a really great point, especially for physicians joining new practices, even those physicians that may be purchasing new equipment that are crazy expensive um, and hopes to bring in new revenue for their practice, but have that debt and loans and, and may be stressed about how they're going to make up um, for those purchases. So that's really, really good advice. What do you think, um, as a physician in the military, how, how different it is for you and how the ways that it's different kind of in the healthcare industry. I know these listeners are going to want to hear your viewpoint as a physician in the military. Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting combination. Um, I love the patients that I get to take care of. I mean, the, it is, it is absolutely amazing. Some of the folks that, that we get to see um, both from the retiree side, as well as the, um, you know, the active duty side, it's just phenomenal. When I was, uh, so I'll give you a quick story. When I was a resident, I admitted a, a gentleman overnight one time. For, he had uh, passed out. And we were doing a, a evaluation on him, and um, as part of our history that we take, we, we usually end up asking, "What's your military history?" Because some of these guys have been exposed to, you know, Agent Orange, like in Vietnam and things right. like that, and so those kinds of things matter clinically, but as we're just talking, it's like, so what's your background? And so he said, well, I, you know, served in the Navy during World War II. And like, wow. really? He said, yeah. yeah, I was actually on the, uh, on the USS Yorktown during the, the Battle of Midway. Oh my. <laughs> you wow. served at the Battle of Midway? What yeah. did you do? He said, oh, I was a, I was a boiler tech. And uh, when wow. the, when the, when the carrier got hit and was starting to go down, they 
gave the all call for abandoning ship and you know i had to scramble up about four ladder wells before i got to the to the top deck and was able to jump off he said after that i uh put in for aviation school because i decided next time my ship gets bombed i don't want to be below deck (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one wow that's pretty incredible you don't meet people like that every day that's for sure that's amazing it's amazing the men and women that i get to take care of i mean I, i i mean being at camp lejeune i mean i get to wow. take care of the, you know, the, the Marsoc Raiders. I mean, the Marine Special Forces. When I was in San Diego, I got to take care of the Navy SEALs. Wow. Um, I mean, these are just some, some of the most incredible people you'll ever meet. So, so those are the, the, the kinds of patients that you get. I mean, I just absolutely love. There's also an, a, a camaraderie, right. an esprit de corps that you get in the military that I just don't think you get anywhere else. Um, and, and I do love that. Now, the flip side of that is that it's, a governmental organization, right? So there's going to be bureaucracy. There's lots of layers of, right. um, of of administrative hurdles that have to be cleared. We don't have to deal with civilian insurance companies, so it's it is simpler to get tests that I need. It's simpler to get medications that I need for the most part. But um, there's a lot of administrative uh, snags that, that happen on a day to day basis that can hamper efficiency if we if we're not paying attention and really, you know, constantly updating our processes. Yeah, definitely. So tell me a little bit about that, because that is a lot different than some of my clients, obviously, that aren't in the military, either even with physician liaison marketing, building referral relationships, or actually kind of driving those marketing initiatives, because like you said, it's different than civilian insurances, different types of medications or, or different types of processes for those medications. So I'd really like to learn a little bit about that. Yeah, so so I th- I think one of the things that happens that it, we were talking about burnout a few minutes ago is that one of the big pain points that we experience is yeah is the administrative hurdles that we have to deal with. Right. Um, so so for example, in addition to just the the routine things that all physicians have to deal with in terms of you know quality metrics and. You know, are you know, are we are we meeting our our quotas for screening people for colonoscopies? You know, for colon right. cancer screening, and, and you know, our our diabetes meds being kept up to date, and things like that. There's some military specific things that that increase the administrative burden. So I spend a lot of my time, uh, you know, assessing people for their fitness for continued service on active duty. Okay, and that's that is an additional layer of um, of clinical assessment that you don't really see in the civilian sector. Right. So, you know, a guy who has ulcerative colitis, for example, or, or Crohn's disease in um, in the civilian world, you know, we, we treat them, we work on them, you know, we, we keep them going. But, you know, I can't, I can't put a guy on, you know, an, an immuno and an immune system suppressing medication for Crohn's disease and then send them in Afghanistan where there's tuberculosis and right. hepatitis B and oh, yeah. other kinds of infections. So, um, so that, that definitely introduces a, uh, uh, you know, a layer of administration a complication, that you don't I'm sure. see so much. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do with those complicated type patients? Cause you don't want to put them at risk understanding, you know, um, you know, their active duty and, and, and the responsibilities that they have, but you need to treat them. So that's got to be kind of complicated as a physician, kind of navigating those waters. It, it is. Well, and I'll tell you the, the hardest conversations that I ever have in, in my in my day-to-day practice, the number one hardest conversation is telling patients they have cancer or, oh, or some gosh. kind of other terminal yeah. illness. But, you know, definitely another 
very, very hard conversation is when I have to tell a young man or young woman that they have a condition that isn't compatible with active duty service and Aww. that we'll continue treating them as, as best we can and, and get their disease under control. And once we get them stable, you know, we have to file the administrative paperwork to undergo medical separation because they're just not able to continue serving on active duty. Aww. And for some of these guys, you know, they've, they've, they've been looking to this as their career for a long time or they've got, you know, multiple generations of, of prior Marines or prior Navy service people that, right. um, you know, they, they want to try to live up to their family legacy and trying to have that conversation is, is just challenging. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I can't even imagine. Definitely. So do these patients, um, do they stay in kind of the military medical system or do you refer those patients out um, to other specialists outside of the military? So for the active duty folks, we work very, very hard to keep all the active duty folks here um, and provide service to them. And, you know, being the solo gastroenterologist here, for example, we don't have the capacity that we would if we were a big, you know, group of 10 docs or something. Uh, So so a lot of our retirees go out in town. Um, But we work very hard to keep the, the active duty folks and their dependents here for sure. And then if they if they undergo medical separation for something that's not compatible with active duty service, then most of the time they end up going back to their hometown or they go back to be close to family. So a lot of times they don't stay here, but the ones that do, we certainly keep seeing them here. Oh, wow. So that kind of leads me into something. So I teach a lot of physician liaison marketing, obviously growing referrals and meeting with physicians. Do you have any advice for Maybe physician liaisons, um, considering to meet with someone like yourself to talk about kind of that continued care, um, unfortunately, for those military members that are no longer going to be um, in kind of the military medical circle and how to navigate those referrals to specialists outside. Yeah. So, well, so the first thing I'll say is that, is that, you know, we want to, let's talk about the active duty side and then we'll maybe talk about the VA because they're they're a little bit different. So on the active duty side, Probably about seven or eight years ago is when I was a, a an intern or a resident. They uh, the the military really clamped down hard on um, the level of interaction that pharmaceutical reps and you know uh, healthcare industry representatives can have with the with the physicians. So mm-hmm. getting connected is a lot harder than it used to be. Um, and I and I think there's some good things about that, but I think there's some there's some real downsides to that too. So um, so for example, you know there's you know you, you're not allowed to have for example, you know, drug reps can't bring lunches in or can't bring um, you know free pens and things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, so so there's there's some there's some tools that you would otherwise have at your disposal that are not going to be uh, allowed on active duty military bases anymore. So that's that is that is a, a bit of a challenge. I would say one of the things that is one of the things that would be I think good for your liaisons to keep in mind is that by and large we we are not beholden to any kind of you know salary changes or pay this and that, and it's it, it really frees us up to focus solely on our primary mission of taking care of our patients. So you know the the best way to get connected with physicians is going to be to find ways to make their ability to care for their patients more efficient 
or to make it more effective. That's going to be the best thing. So if you can come at it from a value perspective, you know, what, you know, how you can help make my job easier caring right. for my patients, that's definitely a conversation I'm going to have, be willing to have. I hope you hear that liaisons. We talk about bringing real value for our referring physicians and you heard it right here. Dr. Lacey's talking about how to really create value for him during a referral process or how he's going to be able to recognize that pretty quickly. So that's really good advice. I know a lot of them out there are going to really appreciate that, but it's also, you said we're talking too. I mean, what about VA clinics? We have a totally different environment when we're talking about our veterans and you have a lot, you know, information that you can help us not only in liaison side, but on the physician side and, and how we kind of incorporate that with today's healthcare. Yeah, so so the the VA system is uh, is unique. There's there there's two there's two sort of I, w- I would say subsets of VA hospitals and VA clinics. Um, one is the VA the VA hospitals, probably the bigger VA hospitals that are connected to um, an academic medical center of some kind. So, for example, I trained at the University of Texas in San Antonio. For, uh, for my medical school, and the two big hospitals that we were affiliated with is the University Hospital, which is basically the big county hospital, mm-hmm. uh, and then the VA, uh, the okay. Audie Murphy VA out there. So huge, huge VA hospital. Um, and then the other subset of folks of, or of clinics that you'll see will be um, you know, not, not standalone, but sort of isolated VA clinics that are not connected to an academic medical center. So for the ones that are connected to the big, the big medical schools and the big tertiary referral centers, you know, it's it, it's going to be a little bit different. But but I would say the the biggest thing that the biggest thing to keep in mind with the VA is that it is a tremendously large bureaucracy. Okay. And so you know the just like just like with the laws of physics, you know, an object at rest tends to stay at rest. <laughs> yeah. The VA is a big object, uh, and it takes a lot to get things moving sometimes. Once you get in, uh, once you get connected, you know, the, the docs that work there are awesome. You know, the I staff bet. that work there are awesome. Uh, you know, your, your ability to interact with, the, with these patients that have been, you know, our service members for 50 years is just great. It's getting in the door that's hard. Definitely, um, so, definitely that. <laughs> I know I've had limited experience, but it is a totally different world for sure. Yeah, and you're probably going to have the most success um, not going to the physicians directly necessarily because by and large, you know, the physicians are just super busy. I mean, they're right. just going 90 to nothing all day long. I remember when I was – a third-year medical student, I was on a my rotation in, in vascular surgery, and we legitimately would have 100 to 125 patients a day wow. in our clinic that are being seen by one vascular surgeon, three residents, and four students or something. Crazy. I mean, <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, we're just going 90 to nothing all day long. Right. So the idea of breaking away for even a 30-minute visit that's just that's just not going to happen i mean yeah especially um, for someone who's not a physician right (laughs) yeah so so what i would what i would propose is that you what you would find more success with is kind of getting through a gatekeeper so uh, a practice manager or um you know a, a clinical nurse supervisor someone like that someone who's in a position of of authority and leadership who you can offer value to the physicians and to the nurses in that clinic, um, but 
you know, that way when it's, when it gets actually brought to the physician's attention, it's coming through a, it's coming through a trusted source. Not that the liaisons aren't trusted, but you know, they're, they're coming in from the outside and so right. people are naturally going to be wary of outsiders. So. Well, that's, that is excellent advice because I know I, I really haven't been able to connect with um, any VA physicians or VA physician liaisons, but it sounds like there's a good opportunity to kind of help and create that support system. It's just kind of navigating the most successful and efficient way to do it without kind of taking up that super limited time that these physicians have. But as we talk about, and we did talk a little bit about this, but I wanted to know a little bit about the psychology behind active military and VA and, you know, the opportunity for other physicians around and, and what is your opinion on this? So, you know, by and large, we are very mission oriented in the military. And I think the VA uh, sees this a lot as well, but we're, we're, we're very, we're very focused on the mission of taking care of patients. You know, right. We're not we're not really burdened by um, worrying about business, you know, overhead or business expenses, or are we going to make, you know, payroll this this month and things like that. Well, that's we, nice. we are really we are really single. So it, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it allows us to be single minded of purpose, and so all of all that we really think about day to day is how can I make my processes more efficient? How can I see more patients? How can I take care of my patients more? effectively. Um, We also tend to be fiercely protective of our time and of our staff and of our, and of our, our resources. So like I said, there's a, there's a real esprit de corps, real camaraderie, but you know, when you're, you know, kind of huddled in a, in a foxhole together, it it, it tends to create an us versus the outside world sort of mentality. So breaking into that um, can be challenging. So the, the thing I would say that's, that would be the number one turnoff for someone coming in is someone who's coming in to sell me on something. Right. I, I, I don't ever want to hear a sales pitch. I don't ever want oh, to hear, yeah, well, I can, I can bring you. Oh my goodness. Drives me crazy. Oh, now yeah, someone comes definitely. in and says, you know, someone comes in, I'll give you an example. So someone comes in and says, um, you know, I was working with a drug rep not too long ago that said, uh, it was telling me that one of our two big medications that we use to treat uh, Crohn's disease, they had come out with a new, formulation of the medication that was no additional cost and had they had eliminated one of the preservative agents that they used to use and had basically made the injection medication pain-free okay well that's (laughs) that's something that i'm interested in you're telling me that i got i got medications and i can tell i can tell a patient it's not even going to hurt anymore (laughs) tell me more (laughs) right something that's going to actually provide value for your patients right i'm gonna have that conversation every day of the week Right. Well, my brother, he's a he's a surgeon as well. And he always said um, what bothers him most about people coming in to sell is he doesn't appreciate when someone tells them, tells him how to treat his patients without a medical degree. Um, And I think that's and he and he's kind of a butt about it. But um, he always says, you know, that's the worst part when someone's coming in and pushing sales. It's just you know, there's value, like you said, how is it going to help or value my patients versus kind of you know, this is what you need right now and why it's better. Um, and you must use it kind of attitude, which I think I teach my physician liaisons, make sure you're not selling, promoting, or advertising when they're in front of physicians like yourself and wasting that super limited time you get 
um, to talk with a physician away from clinic, away from patients to sell promoter advertise. And we really need to talk about like exactly what you said, values and creating valuable processes that you're going to actually care about. <laughs> well, and I think that's where talking to the, the clinic practice manager or a clinical uh, nurse supervisor or a, or, or a COO type person can be really valuable um, is, is asking, you know, what are the, what are the pain points? Cause I'll tell you what, as physicians, we will be happy to pass complaints up the chain of command if we've got something that is preventing us from caring for our patients efficiently. So I right. guarantee you that the people that are in charge of running the day-to-day operations of a clinic are going to know all the pain points. And so, you know, trying to get that information from those folks and then coming up with solutions to say, oh, you know what, I've got a fix for that. We've yeah. we had the same problem at three other clinics and here's what we did and it totally works. Yeah, that's a big difference. Well, Dr. Lisi, I want to say first, this is coming right off Veterans Day, and we are so appreciative of your service and all active military and veterans out there. And I think it's something super important that we talk about, and we don't talk about enough in healthcare. And it's kind of my favorite part about having you on today is there's big differences, but there's a lot of similarities, and it's really, really important we talk about this. And I know I have a lot of physicians listening today, and I want to know kind of what advice you have for them and how you can help them and what you're doing. And I see that we can also, there's some free resources you provide. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, the, the, the two pieces of advice that I always give to, um, to my residents and my students is, um, you know, with regard to trying to avoid burnout and deal with, uh, you know, just sort of the, the, the day-to-day grind of medicine. Number one is, do what you can to get out of debt as quickly as possible. Right. Live like a student, live like a resident, live beneath your means. You know, I my the cars that I drive are 10 years old and they are paid for. And that is right. really okay. Um, you know, that, that is, that is huge. Do what you can to eliminate debt from yourself. I'll tell you what, you know, you, if you, if you walk outside uh, to, if you walk outside to your backyard, when your house is paid for, the grass feels different under your feet. It, it, just, it, feels, nice. it feels nicer. <laughs> it feels like a kingdom, I'm sure. No, but that is really, really true. I mean, you, you're invested so much more, especially when you know that there's not this looming debt or terrible financial decisions. So I think that's really yeah. clutch. And, and the, other thing, the other thing that I've been really trying to coach folks on is the idea that, you know, that this, this word burnout um, needs to be a mantle that we claim for ourselves. I think we really need to get out of that habit. I, I see posts all the time on social media all about physician burnout and, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're victims of the society and, you know, we're, we're, you know, the oppressors are coming for us and <laughs> things like that. And, and, and there's, there's some validity to those points, right. but I think if we internalize that and say, well, yeah, I am a victim. Yeah. The system stacked against me. Then we just, we just kind of give up. Right. And, and I, the thing I encourage folks about is that, you know, we're not, we're not victims. We're not pawns of the system. I mean, if you, if you really feel that way, if you really feel like there's, you know, things weighing you down, get involved, you know, pass your concerns to your, to your superiors, you know, get involved in committees, get, um, you know, get people talking about things, make a difference. Don't, don't sit there and, you know, claim that burnout is, is crushing you and then just don't do anything about right. it, you know, take control. I mean, we, we need to, I think as physicians really 
reclaim the authority over this area of burnout and say, you know what, this is what we need. We need support. We need help. We need to be able to take care of our patients better. Ah, I love that. That is such a good point. I mean, sometimes physicians are so burned out to take care of burnout, but no, that's really true. Kind of create a good community. I know where the physicians can be exhausted and overwhelmed, but you have to do something about it. You've got to take yourself out of that mindset, find a support group, find resources. And that was just such an important point. I think that's really, really, really something that isn't talked about enough. We talk about physician burnout, like you said, and how it can happen. But, you know, what are we doing about it as far as taking care and taking back control? Yeah. Really and, important. you know, I've, and we all need to do that for ourselves. And some, you know, some folks need some extra help. And that's why that's why I started my uh, website, the scope of practice. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. It's a, it's a GI <laughs> joke, the scope of practice, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a place where people can go to uh, learn how to manage their businesses effectively and master their personal finances. And uh, if people want to connect, it's uh, www.thescopeofpractice.com. And there's a ton of great free resources on there. Um, there's a there's a free ebook that I wrote that is available on the front page for your listeners. They can sign up and um, get that downloaded free for nothing. And yeah, that's uh, a no brainer. It's primer on. It's got a great primer on how to manage student loans. Um, nine hacks to make your uh, clinical efficiency uh, increase immediately. Um, so it, it's really practical, actionable stuff that will you know, help catapult people to the next level. Absolutely. So you heard that guys, it is the practice scope.com and there's free resources for you there. So there's absolutely no excuse for you not to check that out and implement some of those strategies. But Dr. Lisi is also pretty active on LinkedIn. So make sure you guys connect with him on Facebook and LinkedIn and any other social media sites where they can connect with you. Uh, so, yeah, primarily on, on Facebook and LinkedIn. So um, if you search uh, The Scope of Practice anywhere there or just go to thescopeofpractice.com, um, there will be lots of great information for you, and uh, you can always contact me through any of those sites. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. That was really fun, and it was great to have a totally different perspective. I love bringing in the military. We need to talk about it, and you guys, we need to always show our support and our gratitude for all that you guys do, active service and veterans, and we couldn't appreciate more, and for the service you provide to your patients as well. That is really important. Who's taking care of our military? And uh, we couldn't thank you more. Well, thank you for your support. Thank you so much. 